are with the uh, Epicenter West LA podcast. As always, I'm joined by Pastor Lawrence. Always good to see you, sir. Hey, we're doing this right the day before Thanksgiving. Day before Thanksgiving. So we're hoping people maybe listen on your holiday trip, or if it's your first time, you may not get to this for for a while, but maybe we'll not. see. Probably. We'll see. Absolutely. You got any Thanksgiving traditions with the family? Um, you know, every year has been really different. I was just talking to somebody this morning that with our family, like every year is different. What worked for us last year doesn't work for us this year. Um, more people are out of town this okay. year. Okay. Uh, so we're, we're keeping it pretty low key. Okay. We've got a small piece of ham just because my daughter wanted some ham. So no point getting the Gotta big one. Ham. I don't think we have turkey this year. Really? Yeah. But I've got a piece of steak. Okay. So I'm happy about that. We got mashed potatoes. We got some yams. I think we're good to go. I like that. How Tur- about, how turkey about you? can be redundant with Christmas. It's, you know, it's too. redundant. It's, like, it's dry. Mm-hmm. We do it from tradition, but no one really right, likes right, it right, or right. enjoys it. Having said that, we'll be having turkey. Uh, okay, <laughs> good. I'm going to Seattle actually day of to see the folks and uh, extended family. So good it's always you. good to be there. You guys, you got traditions that? Not really. Not really. My mom usually makes something really small for the house, a small turkey, some sides, and we'll go out to the end of family. And I'm we'll sure she's got a, a killer recipe. She's got some great turkey. recipes that I cannot, but I'm going to try to. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> so we are uh, on the World of Wonder series, of course. Um the last sermon was was entitled uh, "Greenlit." Greenlit, yeah. Uh, and you, of course, discussed um, you know us approaching God kind of with audacity, uh, seeking and asking and knocking. Um, so I, I think the biggest question that I, I took away from it because it's, it's such an empowering message. Um, oh, thank is, you, I appreciate that. No, absolutely. Is what's the biggest thing you think keeps us just from boldly approaching God as as His sons and daughters? Yeah. So you know, I think let me let me put it out this way. So just use you as an example, Jamal. Please. Because you said it was such an empowering message. Mm-hmm. How did you grow up learning about how we should approach God? Humbly, uh, meekly. Yeah. In fact, uh, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but okay. Luke 11 is so interesting you went there because <laughs> sometimes you remember things about scriptures and you, you, you pointed out the audacity of it. And I felt like went over my head completely mm. all this time. Like the things I clung to about it were kind of the you know, the, the humility of it. Hallowed be thy name, which is important. Don't get me oh, wrong. Oh, from the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. Absolutely. Before from the Lord's Jesus prayer. tells the parable, this is Luke 11, 1 to 11, 1 to 13 yes. for people who are listening, by the way. Exactly. Which are very important too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did think that that message of of not being afraid to, to ask God uh, will we'll give to you is something that kind of did go over my head a bit. So. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting. So I use you as an example because I think so many people can resonate with you should approach God humbly, and we still should, by the way. Um, there's an um, inherent distance mm-hmm. of God being this reverent king, and I think, and he is a reverent king, we should revere him, but then the question is, who are we in relationship to that king? Mm-hmm. And I think so often the pictures were like servants to and that's just not true. It's not true biblically. It's not true theologically. It's not even true as an analogy. We are his sons and daughters. And so we're actually a prince and a princess. Gotcha. Again, not because of anything we've done, but because of what he's done for us. Right. He calls us by grace to that elevated role. I was um, looking through some discipleship material. Uh, Lifeway has some discipleship material. And it talks about, uh, uses this analogy in the intro of one lesson on prayer. Mm. It says, uh, you know, when you think about a king, no one can interrupt the king except a son or a daughter. That's you know, cool. and I think about a three-year-old or a four-year-old running into the room, Daddy, 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 yeah. I need a glass of milk. I need a glass of water. And sure, the king could get mad, but a good king or a good dad 
uh, wants to meet the needs of his children. And that was the analogy it used. But to answer your question more specifically, what keeps us from approaching God with confidence or audacity, excuse me, I think it all begins with the context and the environment that we grew up in. I think we grew up in a time uh, maybe prior to the 2000s. A lot of churches was in this era of guilt and shame, and there was a distance between who God is is or was and who we are. And so we we grew up learning these messages or seeing God in in a certain way. Mm -hmm. It's really our paradigm of who God is, and that colored everything, right? So our faith was about getting things right. It was about maybe the, uh, I use this, the Uncle Sam God, he's enlisting you for an army. So he wants you to be part of his kingdom. So now you're a servant, you're a soldier for his army. These are different analogies we use. None of them are actually, you know, inherently wrong. They're incomplete. Um, Are we servants of the Lord? Yes. Are we soldiers of God? Sure. But they aren't the primary analogy. And the primary analogy, even the scripture that uses, is that we're sons and daughters. Mm -hmm. But that language didn't make it into a lot of the preaching growing up because of the context, Uh, the the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. It wasn't a time of intimacy. It wasn't a time even in in parenting that we understood that kind of analogy because parenting looked very different then. Now we have relational parenting. We know that good fathers and good mothers, um, they don't just, of course, boost our ego, but they spend the time with us, they Mm -hmm. care about us, and they want relationship. And so now things are shifting, I think, for the better. I don't think we're overdoing it um, to talk about God as a loving parent. Uh And that's actually the whole point of Luke 11, that Jesus ends with a, a parental analogy, that if even good fathers would provide for their sons and daughters... But they're evil. They're not perfect fathers. Right. But even even a good father, even a you know uh, a really great dad in our society in our world cannot match the generosity, uh-huh. the relationship, the love, and the response of the heavenly father. And sure. so it's this really neat passage where Jesus begins with our Father uh-huh. who art in heaven, right. and then ending with our Father who wants to give us. Uh, good gifts, specifically in Luke 11 says, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to us? And I think even when we talk about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit sounds like an object. It's this thing that we don't understand, but we forget the Holy Spirit's God himself. It's relational. He's giving us, how much more does God want to give us himself? And um, so that's probably my biggest answer is I think the way we've talked about God, Mm -hmm. the way we see God shifts um, how we relate to him. Right. And and we're seeing that from even in the way we grew up to even society. I think the United States is more of a, maybe not so much anymore, but was more of a Catholic society uh-huh. than it was a Christian society. Gotcha. And I'm not making, the, I'm not drawing lines between Catholics and Christians per se, but I mean, in Catholicism, God is even less approachable, you know, and he's this maybe tower, towering person that you have to even be more humble and you shouldn't right. ask these things. You have to be very respectful. And so again, places of a distance when I think the New Testament communicates a theology of, of closeness and intimacy. That's interesting. You know, I, I never thought about how the complications have kind of shaped, relate to God and I can certainly relate to that in my own. Way. But it's also encouraging because I think, as you said, things have evolved and things are shifting. Mm-hmm. We're becoming more apparent or Terry, you know, hopefully into our, our, our relationship with God. Um, but right. just to touch a little bit more, you, you spoke about uh, Luke uh, 11 through 14. Uh, it's, you know, it's interesting just that you highlighted, you know, that portion of Jesus 
talking to the disciples about prayer because again, you know, the everyone knows the hallowed prayer mm-hmm. and that sticks out in your mind and kind of, you know, that image of just just the humility of it, right. which is amazing and great and very important, mm-hmm. but as you said it's it's incomplete. Um, you know, and, and the rest rest of us tells us to knock and, you know, the door will be opened. Um, mm-hmm. so that that's something that I was I was just really blessed in. Cool. As well. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Um this was a few months ago. I think it was actually on Father's Day and uh we had some some guests visit on a Sunday, and I was actually teaching this passage again. So when I said I've preached before, I, I really have. I mean, it's a great passage. There's so much in it from the Lord's Prayer to the parable to then the Asik Nak and then the explanation about the Father. But um, I was specifically highlighting the parable of what I call the friend at midnight. And I remember um, sharing this message you know, earlier this year, and I said a lot of us grew up thinking that this parable is telling us that God is deaf and we need to pound his door down mm. because in the same way this friend was hounding his friend to get up, it's like his friendship, the, the Bible actually says, even if he doesn't get up from friendship, he'll definitely get up because of your shameless audacity. Right. It feels like what Jesus is saying is God is like that friend who won't get up and he won't get up for our relationship. But if you pound his door and you're shamelessly audacious, he will get up. And so I remember some people growing up teaching, pastors and teachers and Sunday school teachers saying, you need to pound God's door down. And and when I said that, as as to put it up as a proposition to debunk, there was a lady in our service who was just visiting for the uh-huh. weekend who was like, amen, pound his door down. And, <laughs> and, and I was like, ooh, it was this moment like, ooh, that's what I'm trying to do. That's not where I was going. No, it wasn't where I was going, but it just shows how ingrained that is in our culture sure. and how we misunderstand that parable uh-huh. because Jesus is actually using that parable of contrast that you, you would have to do that for your friend, mm-hmm. but God isn't like how much yeah right. it's the how right. much more god gotcha. isn't like that person that is sleepy and and doesn't want to get up god mm-hmm. responds to relationship and so that's why jesus says ask seek and knock and and then he says it it's quite simple and easy you will get it mm-hmm. it is going to come you don't need a pound and so understanding even prayer and and more than just prayer right engagement with god in the larger context and what jesus is trying to do there i think is just highly important and kind of in that vein, um, we talked about in the world of wonder is is God's healing power, right? Mm. Um, that that He's given to us. Um, I, I know a big debate kind of amongst Christians. You know, when we look at the Bible, we see all these amazing. We see all these signs and wonder. Why don't we see them today? Is it yeah. the times? Is it us? So I guess, good. Yeah. Where, where, where do you hmm. fall on that? And are those miracles and signs possible? You know. Um, for sure. Let me just answer that right off the back. For sure, those miracles are not just possible. I think they're available, and I think God is waiting for us to seek them. Um, you know, there's this interesting tension between God's work and our work. And, I, I you know, people say, well, it's 50% God and 50% us. I think it's more of, no, it's 100% God and 100% us. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that we make it happen, but we have to show up. We have to be faithful, and I think we have to pursue it. Uh, again, going on with this passage, Jesus says, you 100% need to ask for it. And when you 100% ask for it, I 100% show up, mm-hmm. right? So I think that theology and that approach and posture is really important. Uh, for sure, just to put it out there, I was listening to um, another speaker recently talk about the Holy Spirit, and I, I loved how much he just called out this idea of cessationism. Cessationism is just the simple theology that all the gifts of the Spirit have ceased, ever since the canonization or the completion of the scripture. And there is a small percentage of Christian Americans that believe that to be the case. 
uh, we just reject that, you know, and I and I love that. I, I was listening to a preacher who just clearly put it out there that, that that's not biblical, and I would say it's not biblical either. Like, I remember growing up and reading the scriptures and finding no indication that the Holy Spirit is moving differently today. I mean, when you when you pick up the New Testament, if you were to read it from Matthew to Revelation, uh, there's no indication that the way we live today mm-hmm. should be different from the way they lived it in the New Testament. You just don't get that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's important for us to understand that so much influence in North America with the age of just reason and rationalization and, and all those things are great and important because God does use his mind and brain, has influenced so much that we don't have a grid for the supernatural anymore. And also, again, how you grew up, certain denominations, certain influences in Western culture, one of them being cessationism, I think shaped some of people's Christian spiritualities where, you know, maybe they don't exist anymore, mm-hmm. and so we don't see them as much anymore. Sure. But here's what's really interesting is a lot of third world countries do see them. That's true. Latin America, mm-hmm. um, parts of Africa, mm-hmm. parts of Asia. And so they do exist. And I think a big question to wrestle with is, why do they see it and why do we not see it? I think, uh, you know, it's it's a complex question, but I think just to, just one version of that is because we don't go after it. Mm-hmm. We don't ask. Um, it's kind of what I was sharing this past Sunday. We're way more tentative. We, we tend to say, well, if it's, if it's your will, God, and we think that's actually noble, but it's actually not what Jesus is calling us to, this mm-hmm. tentative prayer lifestyle, because that tentativeness is not just a prayer. It's actually our approach to faith. It's our posture in faith. We're not going after things. I think we've become passive con- consumers. Mm-hmm. We just want to consume messages because that feeds our brain. We want experiences, but we don't We don't actively pursue God anymore uh, like people in the New Testament did. They were asking for healing. Uh, you know, Peter and John in Acts chapter 3, they go to a temple. There's a, a guy who is poor and has physical ailments, and he's asking for money. And Peter and John simply said, we don't have silver or gold, but in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Huh. Who's doing that today? It's true. You know, because yeah. it looks foolish. It looks true. weird. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to be weird in North America. We've got friends. Right. We've got coworkers. Um, I don't think any of us would say we're trying to be cool, but mm-hmm. we are. Right. We want to maintain a sense of coolness and the things of Scripture only look cool when they actually happen. Right. Like, it's cool. That guy actually got <laughs> up and walked. Right. So, you know, but without the risk, mm-hmm. you don't get the reward. That's true. And, and we want one without the other, but risk is part of it. And so, you know, what I shared at the end of service uh, this past Sunday, um, I got it from another pastor who said, from his experience in praying for healing, the people who are seeing the most healing are those that consistently pray for it and are faithful to keep doing it. Because John Wimber, who is the father of the Vineyard Movement, he would say, like, it wasn't, he didn't see healing until his thousandth prayer. Wow. And so, wow, that you talk about consistency sure. and faithfulness, sure. he was doing it. Um, I haven't seen tons of people get healed, Mm -hmm. but I also wouldn't say I've prayed it a thousand times. I've spent some years praying for it, and I haven't seen anything. I think my first time uh, seeing healing was actually a very intimate moment with me and my wife, just after a conference, feeling very frustrated. I prayed for her, and then she felt a tangible change, and she sensed the presence of the Lord. That was very meaningful to me. That gave me confidence to stop doubting myself and really just doubting God. And then I just started going for it. Uh, we saw healings take place in Europe. In 2016, we went to Germany. 
Um, and I wasn't even praying. Like, I called three other ladies in our church to pray over ladies. So I had the gift of facilitation at that point, not the gift of healing, just the gift of facilitation. These three ladies who probably don't pray for healing very often laid hands on this other girl who had a cast on. We asked her story. And um, by the time they were done praying, which was literally a 30-second prayer, this 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 girl was dumbfounded. She has this shock and awe on her face. And then she turned around and started speaking to her friends. I don't think it was in German. Uh, it was probably another language, international person there. And we had asked her, uh, hey, do you want to fill us in on what's going on? And she just looked at us and said, I don't I don't know what's happening to me right now. You know, um, I can move my arm. I, wow. I haven't done, been able to do this for a year. I'm a wow. dancer. I broke it and been having issues. And so she was shocked. Yeah. But it was just this very special moment in this really busy area, mm-hmm. and I would call it like downtown Berlin almost. You know, there's just tons of people at the square, prayed for her. She, I really believe she encountered the Lord, and we had told her up front because she was already kind of hesitant to get prayed for. We said, hey, we're not, I'm not even doing any follow-up afterwards. I won't ask you to come to anything. So that allowed us to pray for her. And then afterwards, I just said, hey, I just, to close our time, God's after you. You're on his radar. He knows you. And so I just encourage you. Check out a church nearby. Check out a, you know, a Bible-believing, spirit-filled church in this area. But because I said I'm not going to, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I have no agenda, right? I'm not inviting, right. you, so I'm not going to. But clearly, he wants you to know he loves you. And and she was just really That's touched awesome. after that. That's so awesome. it's, it's us going after it. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens is people, they pray a few times, they get discouraged, and they stop. It is the theology that drives everything. Does the Holy Spirit move the same way today? Yes, he does. There's no indication in Scripture that's changed. Um, Jesus still calls us to pursue him and pursue it. That's the call of God, and so let's let's go for it. And I do think it's the people that go for it, pray for it, day after day, week after week, okay looking foolish. Those are the ones with the stories. I, can, I want the yeah. stories. I want God to show up because, again, it's not even about whoa and wow. It's about, hey— People pursue Jesus, mm-hmm. and God gets the glory. That's the whole point of it. Sometimes I wonder, and you can tell me what you think about mm-hmm. this, uh, what role kind of our heart posture, our small group was talking about uh, Acts 2, mm-hmm. uh, right, which is for the church, uh, talking about how we can pursue and get that sense of awe. And, you know, sometimes I wonder, I'll give you the example that I gave, is that if you show the child a television, a wonder, right, in the child, you're looking at the same thing. Mm-hmm. But they see it in kind of this wonderful uh amazing, you know, capacity that, you know, somehow that we've lost in a sense. Uh, And I think that, you know, I know that, hey, getting a new job or uh, any smaller miracle isn't necessarily getting up and walking from handicap or healing leprosy. But I think that there are a lot of miracles and wonderful things that just because of our heart posture, um, particularly in in North America, because of how we've become maybe a little spoiled and a little jaded, (laughs) we don't see it and we don't don't praise God for those things, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, that's part of this whole series is kind of awakening the wonder again to mm-hmm. become like children to, I, I think it's how we talk about God. Um, there's, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, when somebody says a compliment to you, we brush it off, right? We That's actually called just false humility, right? Right, right? Not being able to receive a thank you. And there's something that changes in our hearts when we're finally able to receive a compliment, uh-huh. right? And the appropriate response to a compliment is just, thank you. Yeah. Exactly, right? It means we're able to receive it, and there's a posture that changes in us to receive it. In a very similar vein, when it comes to being in awe of God again, it's, um, you know, in L.A., I've shared this over and over again, it is it is almost a miracle when you first move to L.A. Mm-hmm. to be able to get a job in housing. 
but we downplay it. True. You know, because exactly. um, not everyone can get that. Like, right. if you can't get housing and you can't get a job, you're not going to live here. Mm-hmm. And if you do find housing, that's praise, but then you've got to go get a job to afford that housing. Right. Right. So it's that constant battle. We forget to, in the same posture of saying thank you, mm-hmm. God, you've provided for Absolutely. me. To recognize right. the giver right. and to actually be in awe of that gift. I found housing. I found a job. Mm-hmm. That means that God is setting you up for something. You've got to see that as uh, even just self-talk. That's the supernatural provision of God. Amen. And then what happens, though, is you start to open your eyes to new things of how else is God providing for me? Mm-hmm. Where else is God moving that I've missed it? And so you're teaching people, adults, if you will, to almost see again as if they're children mm-hmm. in the best sense, not right. shut off their brain, not use reason or logic, but actually just to appreciate once again, maybe the little things that will allow you then to see and appreciate even more so the big things. I think if you only appreciate the big things, you miss almost everything. Mm -hmm. And so it's teaching you how to really awaken your heart to gratitude. And then once you're once you're grateful, I think you start to see differently. When you, uh, going back to the thank you analogy, when you're able to receive compliments and yeah. say thank you, I think you're actually better able to give compliments to somebody else. Mm-hmm. It changes something in you. And mm-hmm. so you start acting differently. Mm-hmm. You may start talking differently. I think also when you actually receive compliments, you might actually smile more. Sure. You know? Sure. And I think the same way of when we're grateful for what God has done, we talk about it. Mm-hmm. So moving from gratitude to recognizing, but then sharing. Right. People in small groups or in, in churches a lot, they don't share ways they've seen God move. And if it's not a normal practice, mm-hmm. it was a practice in scripture. God always told Israel to remember. And to remember didn't just mean call to mind, it meant to share it, to testify about it. Mm-hmm. And I think if we don't have a culture of testimony, uh, number one, we don't recognize what God has done, but then we also don't build the faith right. that your story can happen too. And that's just part of the whole the whole ordeal. I, th- I think it was Nelson Mandela that has that quote about letting your light shine. So the subconsciously emboldened, I think the same thing applies. That's great. Yeah, this, the same thing applies to, to God's works. So when you're grateful, you rejoice them, you embolden other people. Yeah, for sure. And and that's that's part of building a culture. You're grateful. Oh, I can learn something about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for these things too. You're celebrating. I want to learn to celebrate too. Now you're getting excited for God. When you're excited for God, you start to look out for that during the week. And you begin to recognize things again. It's kind of like um, we're, we're using all kinds of analogies here. You know, when you're when you're I don't know if you ever researched a car you want to get. Sure, sure. <laughs> Once you, you you researched it or you bought it, now you see it everywhere you go. Oh, there's another one. 100%. Right? 100%. And it's the same way. I've yep. celebrated the goodness of God. I've celebrated yep. the miracles, even the little miracles of God. Now I see it mm-hmm. everywhere I go. And now I have smiles on my face. I love it. Yeah. I love it. An analogy you used kind of in this series uh, was a scene from The Showman. The Greatest uh, Showman. The Greatest Showman. And yeah. I, I've noticed you've used that a couple of times. You're, you're, a big fa- <laughs> you're a big fan of that movie. Yes, I'm a Greatest Showman fanboy. It is, it is true. Partially, Tell me about that. Yeah, what, partially because I have kids okay. and they love the songs. Sure. I, I, think, <laughs> I think it's just a great <laughs> movie for multiple reasons. Number one, just the scores are amazing. Um, I love... I think almost every song is catchy. Those those guys who wrote those scores, by the way, they're the same uh, writers of the La La Land music. Oh, wow. And what's really interesting about The Greatest Showman is the two uh, writers, musical writers, um, had to submit every single song as if they were com- competing over and over again. So it's not like they, they landed the deal and they wrote all the songs for The Greatest Showman. They had to submit every song individually uh-huh. in competition with a whole nother crowd. 
every single song. And it just so happens that the director loved every single song and used all of them. So, I mean, that's just the quality of the music is going to be great. Um, the fact that, you know, someone like uh, Hugh Jackman had to learn how to sing is sure. pretty phenomenal. Sure. And so the musicality, I think, is is good, obviously, to a certain degree. It's fun. Uh, there's a lot of uh, just great things that really works for it. It's a compelling story. Um, and I think the story is a relevant story because ultimately The Greatest Showman is about um, embracing your uniqueness, mm-hmm. embracing the oddities. Um, it's, it's honestly a movie about inclusivity. So there's larger things involved in there. Um, it's also about you know the journey of you know understanding your your demons in your life you know a uh, Hugh Jackman who really wants to be great and successful has to battle that and then come back to this place where he just has fun again in the circus and embracing his family literally his wife and kids and then his circus family so it's about chasing success and losing yourself along the way there's so many great things about it and then of course for the whole family my kids who love <laughs> dancing and the beats and and they bring hip hop you know okay. in, into it sure. you know which is really funny because yep. they're like pretty sure hip hop didn't exist back then <laughs> but it's this alternative universe even though it's shooting about you know P.T. Barnum back in the days mm-hmm. it's bringing a little bit of you know futuristic fantasy into it and so it's just it's just beautifully done, and um, even a year later, my kids every once in a while still they bust out in the living room singing those songs. My my two and a half year old in the car still sings some of them. So uh, I know you it's sold, getting dated. You sold me, man. I know. You sold, I, I haven't seen it, but I feel like I'm. Gonna, you need to go watch. It's it. It's going to be a Netflix night this week. It's uh, and it's good for the holidays too. Okay. Seriously, okay. Um, but we just love it because mm-hmm. it's fun for the house, and even though it's a year old, sure, it's still sure. going. Which is exactly what the director says. When when people leave the movie theaters humming those tunes, uh-huh. we're still humming them a year later. Got you. So we're hook, line, and sinker. Can I give you a, a film that's going to further date us that yes. actually this message made me think of? Okay, go uh, for it. It was The Lion King. And oh, I know you've seen The Lion King. Yep. Sure. Yep. Have your kids seen The Lion King? I think I was uh, a year old when they okay. came. I'm kidding, man. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's also one of the most graphic Disney movies. 100%. So a lot of kids... Don't like. I wouldn't have my kids watch. Okay, it today. fair, fair enough. Fair they watch the new version. I think it's called Lion Guard, which okay. is the like uh, Simba grows up and now. That's he's, right. There's a couple. Iterations. That's what they'll watch. I've, yeah. I've seen it on stage. Also, and it's amazing. Nice. Um, but, but, go ahead, talk about Lion. King. No, absolutely. Uh, just real quick. There's a scene in Lion King um, where you know Simba, who's in line to be a king. Right. His father's died, and his father appears to him, and he tells him, you know, Simba, uh, you've forgotten me because you've forgotten who you are. Mm. Uh, and he tells him to remember who he is, he's, that he's a king and that he has to walk in it, right? And it just reminded me so much of this greenlit yes. message, you know, because yes. it just, it spoke to me that, you know, in so many ways, we forget that. We forget that we're sons and daughters. We forget our inheritance and mm-hmm. we forget that we're completely, and right. that we have to step up. It's available to us. Yeah. I, yeah. That's so good. I mean, it is a lot of what people are trying to, I think, teach about Christianity today is, is about identity. Um, as sons and daughters, um, I mean, Jesus says you'll do greater things. Somehow God has a high view of us, not because we're great. <laughs> he has a high view of us because because he's great, actually, mm-hmm. and he created us, and he believes in us because he put his spirit in us. Sure. So um, he has a really beautiful view of who we are that we don't see, and trying to help uh, human beings see that and rise to that. It's um it's very similar to I'll I'll move away from parental analogies but as a pastor or as a manager when my staff or people who serve uh under me or alongside me when they feel like they're an equal to me mm-hmm. and they just start moving out and things that's powerful 
like most people think pastors or managers they you know they want to keep people at bay no like the creativity will be will be locked if you do that i like I, I want people's creativity to come out mm-hmm. and the the best leaders um and of course you know there's there's a period of like get to know you so you right. don't just right. move out and do whatever but like when you have the trust and you get what we're going for and sure. you just go for it without needing to tell me um that's awesome mm-hmm. i think that's what every dad hopes for what every CEO or boss or pastor or manager hopes for in the best of their people. And I think that's what God wants of us. Like, you've already been greenlit. The permission's there. It's mm-hmm. granted because the Holy Spirit's in you. Power's there. It's available to you. Go for it. And 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 understanding greenlit in light of grace, uh, when you mess up, it's okay. God can handle the mess up. And I think that's what we forget in our faith a lot of times is we're afraid of messing up. Going back to how we see God, because God doesn't like messes. That's probably how we see him. Uh, God is, you know, wanting us to just get in line, you know, do the right thing. These are all perceptions we have of God growing up, but just aren't true. Um, you know, the, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners. So in the midst of our worst, he died for us. That's how scandalous and ridiculous grace is. Grace uh, caused God to come in human form and die on us while we were sloppily messing around. So if he did that, if if love came through in the midst of our mess, then if we make messes now, mm-hmm. love's still going to come through. Absolutely, and we forget that we're we're harsher on ourselves than God is, and he's he's gracious, and we need to we need to walk in that greenlit posture, not taking advantage of grace, mm-hmm. but living in the fullness of that grace. Well, hey, I hope. Uh inspired some people to walk in that today. That's, that's beautiful. Great message. Thank you. I, yeah. And, you know, obviously more than that being true on Sunday, that it would be true, you know, all during the week, we'd walk in that greenlit grace of God. Amen to that. Thanks for joining us for the uh, Epicenter West LA podcast. Mm-hmm.